0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the period chats podcast. Today we are going to be talking all about Hashimoto's thyroid conditions and hormone health. And I couldn't think of anyone better but to bring back Dr. Danielle who's been on the podcast a few times, but is just my go to for when it comes to like really getting the nitty gritty science backed answers on these things. A lot of people know who listen, I have Hashimoto's, it's been a whole year of learning. So this episode is half for me just to indulge and learn, but also a lot of you guys have expressed interest or recently been diagnosed or know someone that has. So this episode is just really here to lay a groundwork for the foundation of understanding thyroid conditions and Hashimoto's and then also how they impact our hormones. So Dr. Danielle, welcome back. How have you been?
1: I've been good, thank you. Yeah, I'm currently fighting a little bit of a head cold, as I'm sure you can hear. Um, But I was actually diagnosed with hypothyroidism when I was 19. Can't remember when I finally determined that it was Hashimoto's. I think it was like always kind of on my mind. Um, This is definitely a topic that I know a lot about firsthand. I work a lot with this in my private practice. So, yeah, I can talk about this until, like, until the end of time. So I'm excited to be here.
0: I know. And I really think when you're living and breathing something, it gives you a whole new appreciation because obviously I started working with clients again too. And I just like, I say so many times in our sessions, like I know how hard this is and I know how this feels. So I think it does, you know, help us as practitioners when we've personally experienced some things. But before we get too far into it, what is Hashimoto's? That's like always the first question I get like DM'd on Instagram, like what the heck is it?
1: Yeah, so Hashimoto's is the most common cause of hypothyroidism, and it's we often think of it as a thyroid condition, but it's actually a condition of the immune system, where our immune system is kind of out of balance, it's creating these antibodies that then see our thyroid almost as an invader and those thyroid antibodies then attack our thyroid causing inflammation and damage and make it really difficult for our thyroid to do its job. So essentially it's an autoimmune condition that, that impacts the thyroid and we think a lot with Hashimoto's we're putting so much more focus on the thyroid but we also need to be putting our focus on the immune system so since really that is
0: the root cause. Yeah, I think that's one of the most common misconceptions is just focusing on the thyroid and not like looking at the immune system as a whole. And then this is really interesting, and I learned it recently. So women are more likely to have Hashimoto's than men. Can you just talk a little bit about like the gender difference there and what you've seen in your practice and then kind of what we see in the research?
1: Yeah, I mean, women in general tend to be more likely to have an autoimmune condition, whether that is Hashimoto's celiacs, lupus, um, and you know, the research online and w- when you dive into it, they'll say, oh, it's because women have a more active immune system. There's not really much to back that other than other than that reasoning. There's also genetic component. So maybe it's something, you know, carried there. But I know if your mom or your grandmother or your sister or your aunt has Hashimoto's, you are more likely to have it as well. So within my practice, I mean, my practice is 99.9% women. I really only see men when it's the partners of my already established um, clients who are coming to me. Usually we're working on their fertility as a couple. Um, so I can't really speak to like having men as a standalone Hashimoto's patients. I just don't get that on my door, but I just don't think it's out there nearly as much as it is for women. Um, yeah. I also, it's interesting because I see so many women come into my practice who have been diagnosed with hypothyroidism for years, maybe even decades, and I ask them, you know, do you have Hashimoto's and they say I don't know. And maybe either their doctor has never tested them for their antibodies or maybe their doctor has tested them tested them in the past but then not relayed that information to them. Um, So that's one thing that's really important, that if you have hypothyroidism, make sure you have confirmed whether or not you have Hashimoto's because that should be part of how you're thinking about treating it. And I've had patients who go to their doctor, you know, after we meet and they'll say to them, can we test my antibodies? I want to know if I have Hashimoto's and the doctor will casually say, oh yeah, three years ago, you were diagnosed with Hashimoto's and the patient's like, I was never told. I didn't know these labs were ever run, Um, but you know, in conventional medicine, they don't really see Hashimoto's as, as worth addressing because they're addressing the thyroid piece. Um, so just a little bit of information I feel like is important to know for anyone who might be suspecting they have Hashimoto's, don't just assume your doctor has tested you for it.
0: That's so interesting because interestingly enough, after we just talked about how women are most most likely to have it, my dad has Hashimoto's and then my brother had mm. thyroid cancer. So we have like a crazy like thyroid stuff, but it's interesting because my dad's doctor put him on medication, but never ever Talk to him about the other things he could do like for his immune system so it's been interesting since I've got diagnosed because obviously I'm diving into all of the other things which we'll get into but I thought it was interesting he was put on medication totally had Hashimoto's but never told anything about other things that could be contributing to it and he has like really bad eczema and all these other things and I'm like dad let me show you what my functional doctor my naturopath told me and like try these things and yeah I think that's really interesting that sometimes those labs are around and we just aren't aware
1: yeah. Yeah. And I mean, super common for your dad's situation to not be told any information that goes beyond medication. And we see that with Hashimoto's, we see it with PCOS, we see that with endometriosis, you know, just being given the pill, not being told that there's actually diet and lifestyle things you can do to improve it. And that's unfortunately the conventional medical model is just to prescribe a pill and send you on your way.
0: Yeah. Oh, a bummer. Um, so when we're talking about Hashimoto's and symptoms. Everyone has kind of, I mean, I know there can be a lot of different symptoms. What are kind of the classic symptoms you see and then how do they kind of impact like periods and more hormonal symptoms as well?
1: Yeah. So first the thyroid is a gland that lives in our neck and it produces hormones. And I, I picture these hormones kind of similar to when you add fuel to a car, our thyroid hormones kind of act as fuel for our body. They make all of our cells run. So when our thyroid is not functioning well, our whole body slows down, and we can see this in so many aspects throughout our health. So one way we think of is our energy slows down, so we get more fatigued. Our metabolism will slow down, so we start to gain weight. Our digestion slows down, so we start to get constipated our hair growth slows down, so we see more hair loss. We can also see you know, depressed mood, eczema, joint pain, brain fog. Um, those are really the, the primary ones. Then we can definitely see irregular cycles as well because our ovulation will start to slow down and if we aren't ovulating regularly, we're not going to be having a period regularly. And that's where we can see something like Hashimoto's impact our cycles and impact our fertility if it goes unmanaged.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting how you just described it because it just – everything just clicked in my brain. It is – everything slows down. Everything – it is it is like – it's just a feeling like when I was trying to explain to someone, like when I wasn't diagnosed yet and I was trying to figure out what was going on, I felt like I was trying to run through like pudding. Like my whole day just felt like so much resistance, like getting out of bed, Working, focusing, like the brain fog too. Like i learned so much about how our thyroid hormones can cross the blood-brain barrier, and it really the depression, all these things like they just compound. And I think that that's why a lot of people also don't get diagnosed because you just honestly, I felt so hopeless. I just felt like, how am I? I'm never gonna feel better. No one's gonna listen to me. I had one doctor tell me it was aging. Did I tell you that? No. We'll talk about that later. Oh, and one doctor just tell me it was aging. Um. So that's interesting. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're like, that sounds really familiar, I just find like when I describe the symptoms to people, they're like, wow, that actually sounds so familiar. I feel like I'm living that right now.
1: Well, that's the thing. It's like there are other hormone conditions like PCOS that do look so similar and I think sometimes we just assume that we can only have one and not the other. So something that I do with my PCOS patients is I always test them for Hashimoto's because women with PCOS are more likely to have Hashimoto's than women without PCOS. And the symptoms are so identical that it's easy to think, okay, I'm treating my PCOS and my symptoms aren't quite getting better It must do something I'm doing wrong instead of thinking, oh, I'm treating my PCOS, I'm not getting better, and that's because I'm also not treating my Hashimoto's.
0: Yeah. And so okay, so that it's a perfect like next step. If you're feeling this way, how do you even go about getting a diagnosis? Because I think there is something very validating when you actually do figure out what's going on, even though if you can feel long road ahead to fix it, you can at least know what it is.
1: Yeah, so you would go to your primary care or your OB. Um and typically if you go to a conventional doctor and ask for thyroid testing, they're going to test something called TSH, which stands for thyroid-stimulating hormone. This is a hormone that our brain makes to communicate with our thyroid. And they may also order something called free T4, which is a hormone that our thyroid makes. That's really going to be the extent of the testing. Now there are other thyroid hormones like free T3 and then our thyroid antibodies like TPO antibodies and TG antibodies that we will want to test. So if you're going to your conventional doctor and they're only ordering the TSH and the free T4 and they refuse to order anything else, that is a good sign that you are not working with somebody who is wanting to get all the information and you should find a doctor elsewhere. And you can find conventional doctors that are willing to order the full panel. I'm not saying you have to go to a naturopathic or a functional medicine doctor, although those people are going to be 10 times more likely to be willing to order the more comprehensive testing. Um, there's also a lab that I personally use to test my thyroid each month and it's called Let's Get Checked. And it's really great because it's a finger prick test that you can collect at home, and it tests for all those hormones I just mentioned, the TSH, free T4, free T3, and the antibodies and it's about, I wanna say like $80, $90. They send you your results back within two to three days. So if it's something where your doctor is refusing to order you the test, you can always go purchase that test yourself, at least get some answers, and then if your results are out of balance, you can say like, okay, this is really important that I either take it to my doctor and show them you were wrong, it was important I test this, or that will give you more motivation to go find a new doctor. Um, so those are the tests that you are wanting to get. When it comes to TSH, there is a reference range that conventional medicine has, and they will say that if you're in this range, then you're okay. And the range is usually about 0.5 to 4.5. But when we're talking about really feeling our best, and especially when we're thinking of regular cycles, not having symptoms with Hashimoto's, getting pregnant, we really want our TSH between 1 and 2.5. So in the past, you may have gone to your conventional doctor, maybe they ordered your TSH, maybe you come back at 3.74 and they say you look normal, you know, don't worry about it. That is not normal. And that is too high. And there is research research that has shown a TSH less than 2.5 leads to healthier pregnancy outcomes. So just, you know, not taking what your doctor says at face value, but really understanding what you should be asking them, how they're looking at your labs, like what lens are they looking at it through, or are they just accepting the general reference range, or are they considering the fact that you're coming to them with these symptoms. Um, but it's kind of counterintuitive. The higher your TSH, it means the lower functioning your thyroid. So if your TSH is three, four, five, it means your brain is having to make more TSH to over-communicate with your thyroid, almost as a way to like yell at your thyroid to get it to do what it's supposed to. So it, we usually think more is better, but with a TSH, more is actually not better. That was, yeah. That, a lot of ones.
0: <laughs> no, that's great. And I was just like thinking about like when I was getting my own labs done, it's so interesting because... I had I went to two doctors back to back and I went to one and my TSH was like 4.49 or something and he was like no 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 you're fine you're fine you're fine he wouldn't run the antibodies test. I went 30 days later to a new doctor when I finally got in. My TSH was over 5 at that point so you could see the like rapid like Uptick of how my thyroid was freaking out. My one of my antibodies was over 500 and then the other one was over 134. So, like the two different ones. And she literally called me on like a Saturday and was like, Oh my gosh, you need to get like help right now. And it that it changed that much in 30 days, even of just not getting listened to.
1: Wow, that's yeah, that's insane. I mean, and that's why, too, like if I'm noticing with patients that their thyroid is swinging in any way, I'm like, Okay, let's test this every month because if we don't test it for three months, it could swing way high. And then by then you're going to be feeling horrible. So even if they're teetering on that 2.5, maybe even 2.6 edge, I'll say like, okay, let's repeat this in four to six weeks to make sure it's not up to a three at that point.
0: And you know, what's crazy is I implemented the diet and lifestyle changes that were recommended for me and started on MP thyroid. I went back um, two months later and my TSH was at like 1.7. It was like It was great. And I haven't had my antibodies tested again because they wanted me to wait a full 12 months before retesting them. But that actually leads me to another question. I had a doctor recently tell me, it was a new doctor I'm seeing, and she was like, oh, well, we don't really worry about where your antibodies are at because if they're high once, they're probably going to be high forever. And it just like is what it is. Is that true?
1: So... If you have Hashimoto's and you have that autoimmunity component yes to some degree your antibodies will probably always be there but they can vary i mean i've seen them vary by the hundreds even by a thousand so i think the antibodies are really important because yes you can be taking thyroid hormone medication and therefore your thyroid hormone levels are going to look good But your thyroid hormone medication is not going to control your immune reaction or your immune system to your thyroid. So your antibodies could be through the roof high while your thyroid hormone medication is masking the symptoms. With personally, for me, when I test my antibodies, like I know when I've gotten COVID and I've gotten it twice, my antibodies spike afterwards. And I think that's something that's like important to know with Hashimoto's is... It's not like a linear process of like, okay, I healed it and I've gotten to this point in this room to stay. Our body responds to stress and to illness in different ways and autoimmunity can always flare in those circumstances. So like I know after COVID, when I test my antibodies, I expect them to be higher. I know what I can do to bring my antibody levels down. But yeah, I hear that all the time from conventional doctors that there's no point in testing the antibodies once you've tested them once. And I just, that makes zero sense to me. From their standpoint, they don't really have any tools in their toolbox to lower the antibodies, right? Like they don't have a medication to give you to reduce the antibody load. That's not part of their protocol. So to them, it doesn't really matter what your antibody levels are because it's not going to change their their treatment for you.
0: Yeah, thank you for answering that. I've been wanting to. I was like, I'm going to ask on the podcast today because I just like was like, okay, whatever. I'm going to do my own research like per usual. But then the next question is actually why I was at the doctor. Is I have been told so much about fertility and thyroid and Hashimoto's. And obviously like I'm a hormone dietitian and I have a really good base understanding, but I still am finding the research and the advice I'm getting very confusing from my healthcare providers. So does Hashimoto's and thyroid conditions impact fertility? And then like, just kind of want to open up the conversation around that because it's been on my mind a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, it can, but it's not a reason to be scared of thinking, "Oh, I'm not going to be able to get pregnant." It's just a reason to be proactive before you're ready to try to conceive. And there's kind of two things I look at when it comes to thyroid health and getting pregnant. The first is considering where are your thyroid hormone levels at? So if you are very newly in your Hashimoto's diagnosis and you're still trying to navigate the world of medication and find the dose that's right for you, you definitely want to do that before you get pregnant because it's really important your thyroid is in a good range. If our thyroid hormones are low, it's going to, you know, like I had mentioned, it causes our body to slow down. It's also going to slow down the growth of the baby. So oftentimes women will miscarry in the first trimester when they don't know that they have Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism. Maybe it's very early stages for them, they haven't really had many symptoms, and then they miscarry and then realize like, oh, my thyroid is actually not in a good range at all. This is why when I work with patients and they get pregnant, one of the first things we test is their thyroid. Even if it was okay three or four months ago, like our thyroid is so sensitive to stress, I wanna make sure it's in a really good place as soon as they get pregnant, because if not, if they're on medication, maybe we'll change the dose. Usually with pregnancy, you do require a little bit higher dose medication, um, or maybe we're just tracking their thyroid closely. Something to also from that standpoint, I think having your thyroid numbers in a good place before you get pregnant, really, really important. Now it sounds like you've been on medication for the past year, your levels are in a good range, so I'm not like concerned about that at all. The other piece is considering the thyroid antibody levels. So antibodies are going to be attacking our thyroid, but they can attack other areas of the body as well. One of the areas they attack are our ovaries and they can actually cause changes in our ovaries that look very similar to the polycystic changes we see with PCOS. So that is where trying to lower your antibody count can be helpful because if you have these antibodies attacking your ovaries, then it could be harder for you to ovulate. You also do carry, with a higher antibody load, you do carry a higher risk of miscarriage. But again, it's not a reason to be concerned or fearful women with Hashimoto's have healthy full-term pregnancies all the time. It's just something to be aware of. And like, it's, you know, getting your thyroid hormones in check is number one, and then doing what you can to control your antibodies is number two, but that, you know, we only have so much control over.
0: Yeah. But I mean, it's so good to have all the information. And I think that's the thing that like, I appreciate about understanding more about my thyroid is being able to get all of the information, because I feel like, sometimes on social media to gain traction people use a lot of fear-mongering tactics like this is going to happen to you and you need to be careful but then like when you talk to your doctor about it they completely blow it off and then there's like this nice in between of like here's actually everything that could happen here's all the things to be aware of and I will say my gyno was really good about being like we just want to get you in with like so-and-so endocrinologist you need to make these appointments we need to have these labs first like it's just good to have all the information because then you feel so much more prepared.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and if it was if I was trying to conceive, say this past year in 2023. I was not, but if I was, when I got covid back in the fall, for me, just knowing how my antibodies respond and the fact that I usually have to adjust my thyroid medication dosage a little bit post COVID, I probably would have stopped trying to conceive for a month or two. I would have let my body have a chance to like rest, recover, get things back on track before trying to conceive again, just so that I wasn't setting myself up for a potential miscarriage, you know, like getting, letting my cycle regulate because we know after COVID sometimes our cycle can be a little bit variable. Um, and so just like kinda having that flexibility and the openness and not being so rigid with the process I think is really important.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And then the other question we got was menopause. So that's like another big hormonal transition. Are there any considerations for Hashimoto's and menopause?
1: Yeah, so one thing with menopause is it's really important to have your thyroid well managed because if you have hypothyroidism, that can exacerbate the symptoms of menopause. So it can exacerbate the low libido, the fatigue, the joint pain, the brain fog, the weight gain. And then the other thing to consider is like pregnancy, sometimes with menopause, we require a higher dose of medication, um, which is a little bit harder for the thyroid to make hormones. So, you know, I often, and I actually did this in medical school, I started medical school on a dose of thyroid medication. And I don't think I ever tested my thyroid again until I was out of medical school and that was five years because I was just busy, you know? And when I got out, my thyroid was completely out of balance. But I think, you know, my mindset back then was like, oh, I went into medical school, my levels were good, I'm good, you know, this is my dose. And so I think just always rechecking. Um, I personally like to recheck my levels every other month. I'm probably a little bit like, overly testing, but like, this is also what I do for a living. So for me, I like to keep track of it really tightly. If you're somebody who is pretty well managed, I would say at least testing your levels every six months. Um, even if you're feeling good,
0: that's such good advice. Cause I was just thinking like, I don't think I've had my thyroid levels tested since July. So like, it's right. been like a minute and yeah. I'm still like, I just got diagnosed in May or like June. So like really, like I'm still, like, trying to figure everything out. So that's a good point that, like, it's not a set and forget. It's, like, very – it can change.
1: Yeah, and, and if I would say if you were in the first year of being diagnosed, I'd probably retest, like, every four months, like,
0: quarterly. Me going to order my test after we yeah. get off this podcast to go get it checked. Um, okay, so is there – and this is really interesting, and we're going to be on your podcast today, too, and I'm going to share my entire journey because I didn't just get diagnosed with um, I actually haven't really talked about this publicly. I also got diagnosed with celiac. So I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's, celiac, severe soy intolerance, like borderline allergy of soy. And then I also had SIBO and H. pylori. So basically my body was like a mess, but um, my body was like, I'm giving up and I need you to take a freaking break. And I was like the busiest I've ever been in my life, but it was, just, you know, the world telling me to slow down. But... My doctor was like, oh, that's actually super common. Like if you have one autoimmune disease, you are more likely to have another one. Could you talk? Is that true? Could you talk about that? Kind of what yeah. go- what's going on with that?
1: Yeah, definitely true. I think it goes back to the fact that women in general tend to have more autoimmunity. But unfortunately, that is the case. When we have one autoimmune condition, we tend to have others. And I think it's just those people are more prone to having overactive immune systems. Um, So, yeah, it's really important, like especially with Hashimoto's, a lot of people have gluten sensitivities. So I think if you're somebody who's working on your Hashimoto's symptoms, maybe you're really focusing on gut health and you're not seeing improvement, Definitely getting tested for celiacs. Um, I know I have some other autoimmunity that runs in my family, among like my grandmother, um, that I'll probably kind of like is in the back of my mind to probably get tested for when I get closer to like 35, 40, 45. Some autoimmune conditions typically don't set in until later in life. So it's not like you're gonna be diagnosed with Hashimoto's and like. I mean, in your case, yes, in the same year, you're diagnosed with celiacs. Doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes it can be five, 10, 15 years down the line. Um, So also working with a doctor who has that in mind, who's gonna kind of keep their eye on it, and if symptoms start to pop up, like something like really severe joint pain that's really unusual for you, maybe that's a reason to look into other potential autoimmune conditions.
0: Interestingly enough, my severe joint pain is what kicked off this whole thing because I like would wake up in the morning and not be able to move my fingers. But I was vegan at the time and eating tons of soy and I didn't know I had a soy allergy like intolerance and I was eating tons of gluten. And so it was just like an interesting – that ended up going away instantly as soon as I changed my diet. But that's what got me to the doctor because I thought I had rheumatoid arthritis because my grandma does.
1: Wow. Yeah. It's I mean, it's funny how like one way we think of eating to be like the healthiest for us could be in your case, like the exact opposite of what you needed.
0: That That's what my biggest thing If I'm learning is everyone's diet is so, and I know this as a dietitian, but like I used to be like, oh, this way of eating's best or oh, this way. And I really don't do that at all anymore with my clients. I'm like, we need to figure out what's best for you because the way my husband eats and the way I eat, like, they have to be completely different. Our bodies are just completely different. But that actually is perfect because I like everyone to have like actionable items. Like if you are listening with Hashimoto's and no one's talked about diet or lifestyle with you because I honestly, one, I'm so grateful for my thyroid medication and I will never not have that in my life. It's just like a very, very important thing to me because I feel so much better but I made a ton of changes and I wanted to talk to you about what are some things you talk about with your clients for diet and lifestyle? Because if you've gone to a conventional doctor, they may not like my dad have talked to you about any of those things.
1: Yeah. Starting off is definitely don't skip breakfast. Um, you know, I see a lot of women still like skipping breakfast or having something really small for breakfast and then skipping lunch. So definitely not skipping breakfast and looking at our meals in a blood sugar balancing way because blood sugar and thyroid do play a role with each other. So when we're thinking of that, we're thinking of including a protein, fat, and fiber in every meal. Now with gluten, gluten really will affect people more or less with Hashimoto's. We know that eating gluten can increase our antibody response and essentially that's because the gluten protein looks very similar to the thyroid protein, like the structures are very similar. So if we have this immune system that is already like wired to recognize our thyroid and want to attack it, then when we eat gluten, our thyroid is going to see that and it's going to kind of have that similar response. So as it makes more of a reaction to gluten, then it's also going to create more of a reaction to our thyroid. I know some people with Hashimoto's who cannot have any gluten or it's immediate like terrible brain fog, terrible joint pain. I have gluten, like if I'm eating out, like, you're like, that, yeah, of course. Well, you have celiacs, so that's like a next level. Um, but for me, like I'm gluten free at home and I try to be gluten free as much eating out. I'm actually trying to be more cautious of it this year because um, I kind of let myself slack towards the end of 2023. Um, so that would be a place that I would definitely play around with Gluten is probably the number one food sensitivity when it comes to Hashimoto's. Dairy and eggs can also be a sensitivity for some people. Not saying that everyone has to be gluten free, dairy free, egg free who has Hashimoto's, but just keeping in mind if you're somebody who's like, yeah, I feel like I eat gluten, I feel fine, but like dairy is the one that really feels like it triggers me, that might be the case for you. So just kind of playing around, usually I recommend doing it under the guidance of some doctor, a naturopathic or functional medicine doctor or a dietitian who can help you with that kind of food elimination and food identification um, process. The other piece is kind of going hand in hand with not eating too little, um, not over-exercising. So one thing I always ask my clients is after you exercise, do you feel like you need to crash on the couch or do you feel energized? And with Hashimoto's, it's really important that you feel energized, and sometimes that means working out for 15, 20 minutes, and it doesn't mean going to you know, a 50-minute spin class. And that will really go a much further way for you. Even if, say, your goal is to lose weight, if you are over-exercising, or not even over-exercising, but just over-exercising for your body, and your thyroid is not able to recover, you're never going to lose weight, and you really will see more change with doing less. Um, so let recommend from like a diet exercise standpoint, I think sleep is so, so important. Um, seven to eight hours every night, like adrenal support is crucial. So that looks like getting good sleep and maybe cutting back on the caffeine a little bit. Doesn't mean you can't have coffee entirely, but maybe not having on an empty stomach. Um, the adrenal glands and the thyroid really do communicate with each other. So if our adrenal glands are struggling, our thyroid is going to struggle, uh, I know red light therapy, I feel like you post about that a lot, right? Yeah. Red I love, therapy, I bought one for my house. <laughs> you did? Yeah, I'm moving in a month and I told myself, wait till you move, then you can get one because it's just like one less thing I have to pack. But red light therapy is a great way to lower thyroid antibodies. Um, I actually plan on doing an experiment with myself of like measuring my antibodies each week after I do red light therapy every day to see how it changes. So I will circle back with you on that information. Um, And then Brazil nuts. So Brazil nuts contain a mineral called selenium. And selenium helps our thyroid make hormones. It helps us convert T4, which is the inactive thyroid hormone, into T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. And I've had people on Instagram reach out and Maybe I don't know how powerful the Brazil nuts are, but they reach out and they'll say, you know, I struggled to get pregnant for eight, nine, ten months, and I started doing two Brazil nuts a day. My thyroid levels improved, and I got pregnant. And I'm like, if it's if it was just a Brazil nut, that's like the cheapest fertility procedure, fertility you know treatment ever in the world. And you don't have to eat handfuls of them. You can get a bag from Trader Joe's for like eight bucks, and just two a day is all the selenium you need. Um, so those are kind of like my hard hitters. Of course, there's so many supplements out there that are great for thyroid health, but that's so specific to the person. Um, and we also want to consider nu- like nutrient levels. So things like iron, vitamin D, iodine, magnesium, those are all going to play a role with thyroid health as well. So if those are deficient, we're gonna to wanna to think about where can you get those in your diet or do we need to be supplementing?
0: I love all those tips and like I really, really believe that the diet and lifestyle tips just made such a big difference for me and it's just crazy. It's cool when you find out – it's overwhelming sometimes to find out all the things you can do and that's why I do love that you pointed out working with a health professional because some of the diet stuff like I have a history of an eating disorder and then finding out I couldn't have all these things was like super triggering for me. So I definitely recommend working with a healthcare professional and then testing levels regularly to see what's working for you because – that's something I'm going to start doing now. I'm going to do the let's get checked and like do it monthly and kind of just like see where we're at. But anything else on Hashimoto's? Any other words for the wise for everybody who's listening? Because really, that's all the questions that I had.
1: No, I mean, I think we really dove into it pretty well. Um, I think I just want to reiterate, like not being so focused on like, constant progress. And with Hashimoto's, you should expect some setbacks, but you know, the more you can learn and understand what your body responds well to and what your Hashimoto's does well with, then as soon as you do start to notice those setbacks, whether it's in symptoms or whether it's in your antibodies starting to go up, you can bring those tools back on board. Um, Cause you know, the things I listed, like that's a lot to do there and maybe you can't be doing all those things every day for the rest of your life, but when you start to get off track and maybe you start to feel a little worse, just like knowing like, okay, yeah, I haven't been prioritizing my sleep or yeah, I have been, you know, maybe more stressed than usual and I need to start Start focusing on stress management, um, just being okay with the process and knowing that that's expected and it's normal. Um, you know, with my first round of COVID, when I saw my antibodies shoot up, I was like, no, you know, I was like in such a good place for a long time. I was like, and I was, I mean, I knew in the moment that it wasn't forever, but it was hard not to see that. And I thought COVID ruined me and they came down within a few months. It was fine. But um, things like that, we can expect to have a few setbacks and that's okay.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming. I'm going to link the thyroid testing here, and then where can everybody find you if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, so I am on Instagram and kind of TikTok um, at Dr. Danielle Period ND, and then you can go over to my podcast, Heal Your Hormones with Dr. Danielle. I share more about hormone concerns there, and I will also be having Kate on um, the next episode to discuss her Hashimoto's journey. So I'm excited for that.
0: Yay. Well, thank you for coming on and thank you everyone for listening. If you have Hashimoto's or you're just curious, I hope this was super helpful because I know how it feels to go Google things and doom scroll and read on Reddit. So you heard it here from a healthcare professional. Here's the download. Here's how to talk to your doctor. Here's things you can do. So thank you guys. And if you enjoy this episode, please leave a review or share it with friends because it's the best way for more amazing people to find the podcast and take control of their health. So thank you so much, Danielle.